we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for June 15th, 2008, where we're talking about the doctrine of blood guilt or blood guiltiness. And we're going to probably do this part three and then pick the rest up next week. Leaving where, uh, starting where we left off, the church, the true church knows full and well the doctrine concerning the blood of Christ and its redeeming power. But how many know and teach what happens to a nation that sheds innocent blood? The Bible teaches that when innocent blood is shed, it has a voice that cries out to Almighty God. Well, let's just see where it says that. Let's go to Genesis 4.10. Genesis 4.10. I'll turn there myself. Well, let's just go to verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He killed him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, Cain, I know not. I Am I thy brother's keeper? Man, as if God didn't know, number one. And two, it's like he's being sarcastic with God. And then it said in verse 10, And he said, And this is where this doctrine of blood guiltiness starts. And he said, What hast thou done? This is God. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And what's the, what's the sentence? And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. This is something very spiritual that happens when the land becomes defiled with innocent blood. Because Abel's blood was innocent. And then it goes on, you know, he goes on to pronounce this judgment against Cain. This is a very serious matter. Now, this was from the blood of one innocent person. One. We've had over one billion abortions worldwide since the 1920s. One billion. Statistically proven. I went over this in previous teachings. Yes, I know there's been 47 million since Roe versus Wade, or probably more than that now in America. That's true. It's horrific. But there's just about that many abortions every single year worldwide. Worldwide. Innocent blood cried out from the land. This was from the blood of one person. If you do the math, can you imagine the judgment of God that's coming? I, I can't even comprehend it. Unlike blood, the blood of Christ that cries out for mercy, this cry, when, the, when innocent blood is shed, is a cry for vengeance. Let's go to Revelation 6, 9, and 10 to prove that. Revelation 6, 9, and 10 says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for what? The word of God. That's why they were slain. That's how big of a deal the word of God is to the God of the Bible. Why were the people in Revelation slain? For the word of God. You better make sure you're reading the right word of God. And for the testimony which they held. Remember, the Bible says, and they overcame him, meaning, essentially Satan, 
by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and that they love not their life unto death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the word of their testimony. And then it says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on earth? I wonder how many that are listening to this teaching this day are going to be under that altar. I wonder how many people listening to this, including myself possibly, are going to be under that altar. The souls of them that were slain for the word of God. That's a pretty profound thought. You may be one of them. You may be required. That's an honor. I know that's not something that any of us would probably relish. But what if that's the case? What if that's what God's called you to? They were actually under the altar. The souls of them that were slain for the word of God. That's pretty much a position of incredible honor. That's heavy duty thought. But what were these souls crying for? They were, they were asking God, Dost not thou judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on earth? Another connection between the doctrine of blood guiltiness and civil tyranny is found in Psalm 106, 37-42, which says, Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. Moloch is nothing but a devil. Chemosh, Lilith, Artemis, fallen angels. And shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto idols of Canaan. And what was the result? And the land was polluted with blood. The land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, his people it says, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hands of the heathen. See, that's the result. When you have a church that sits back and does nothing, and that is actually participating in abortion and stands silent against it, what's the result? Well, the Lord's wrath is going to be kindled against them. Remember, judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. That judgment really hasn't come to America yet. Now, some of you listen to me in China, because I know we have a lot of downloads from China, you probably know what I'm talking about. And may the Lord Jesus Christ bless you and all of you that would listen to these broadcasts and are suffering persecution. Persecution that I don't know. I'm not in your shoes. I, I All I can say is I humble myself before you. And I praise the Lord Jesus Christ for you. I don't even feel I'm unworthy of you. I mean that. I don't. I haven't suffered. I haven't, I haven't shed blood for the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean that. So, <clears throat> therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against His people, 
insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen. That's what happens. When, when, this, when this dynamic, where we're sacrificing our sons and daughters to idols, in this case, mostly the God of convenience, we're going to be given into the hand of the heathen. Now, I'm not saying God can't protect this remnant. Okay, I'm talking about the reprobate pseudo-Christians out there. And they that hated them ruled over them. You, 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 so many people are like, oh, it's so hopeless with the political system in America and these types of things. And, they, and it's so obvious what's going on. It's so obvious these people are just pure evil. What goes on in Washington, D.C. is so corrupt, so evil. That's what it says is going to happen when we have what we have going on in this country. The foundation of it, a lot of it, is, is when Roe versus Wade legalized abortion in America. And then they took prayer out of schools... Or maybe that came first, I forget. But And then you have all this legislation of sin. Protection of sin. With homosexuality, it's a slippery slope. Keep going down it. The, the logical progression and result of that, and the fruit, is we're going to be given into the hand of the heathen, and they that we hate will rule over us. Their enemies also oppress them. And they were brought into subjection under their hand. That's the result. Notice the progression. Child sacrifice, shedding of innocent blood, defilement of the land, and the anger of God, which manifests with the opposition of God's people. As America continues to codify evil into law with the silent consent of the church, silent, the sin of silence, remember? Our government must, of necessity, publish, punish biblical Christianity. As our nation protects, celebrates, and honors that which is an abomination before God, those who believe the Bible and act on its teachings become more and more the prey. The prey of the wicked. Now, let's, where does it say that? Let's go to Isaiah 59, verse 1. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Isaiah 59, verse 1. And it says, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. See, the problem is not with God. It's with us. But your iniquities, your sins, have separated between you and your God. Remember, the Bible says in Psalm 66, verse 18, that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There's a lot of things you can do to get your prayers hindered. I've done whole teachings on this. The biblical keys to answered prayer. If you want to know about that, just do biblical keys in a keyword search and you'll find it on the sermon audio, the, the bo little box on my homepage, the search box. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. That's what sin always does. It separates us from our God. And your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. See, if you have a lot of overt sin issues, particularly ones that you have no desire to repent about, or no desire to change, or no conviction of sin, well then that's a real problem. Because you're probably not even saved. But sins 
cause God to hide his face from us. That he cannot hear us. He will not hear us. So the Bible talks about this. The heavens are as brass. It's like your, your prayers aren't making it above the roof of the room that you're in. For your hand... Why? Why is all this? It says, for your hands are defiled with what? Blood. They're defiled with blood. And your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice. That's the church today. They don't call for justice. They call for more money. They'll do an altar call for more money. Come and receive your blessing. Sow a hundred dollars and we'll, we'll guarantee a hundredfold return. We'll send you our magic prayer cloth that we prayed over personally. Whatever nonsense they talk about. None call for justice. Nor any pleaded for truth. See, it's, truth is really important to God. I know it's not emphasized in the modern day pseudo church. They don't care. Truth is relevant to them. It's subjective. Whatever. Truth is what I make it. The Bible is just a book of fables. That's what most churches just about believe anymore. Nor any pleaded for truth. Remember, what, Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. If you continue in my what? My word. Then are you my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's how we get free. Remember, the, the, the false deceivers and, and prophets and apostles and priests promise them liberty, but they themselves are the servants of corruption. They promise them liberty, but all they're bringing in, them into is bondage. But the truth, if you continue in the word of God, that's what sets you free. None calls for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity. Vanity. And they speak lies. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that they've given heed to. They conceive mischief. They bring forth iniquity. Their feet, verse 7, their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. They make haste to shed innocent blood. This is, you know, this is God speaking to His people here. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not. And there is no judgment in their goings. He was spiritual, judgeth all things. Oh, but see, judgment has this, like I said, this negative connotation. Judgment is incredibly important to God, that we judge righteous judgment. If we don't do that, society will degrade. If we don't judge righteous judgment according to the Word of God, society will fall apart, will degrade, the church will fall apart. Everything. There's no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore is judgment far from us. Now that's a very bad thing in this context. Judgment being far from us. We don't have any righteous judgment. We have perverse judgment. We have a judicial system that's totally been corrupted. 
a political system that's totally been corrupted, a church that's totally been corrupted, judgment is far from us. Neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For righteousness, but we walk in darkness. Well, isn't that what the Bible said that the Laodicean church was going to be like in Revelation 3? Let's just flip over there real quick and see what is the church going to be like when essentially in the time of the end prior to and leading up to Revelation and under the angel of the church of Laodiceans write these things saith the Amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot I would that thou were cold nor hot See, God is an extremist. He wants you to be either black or white. Not lukewarm. So because thou art lukewarm, neither whole nor cut, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. That's the future of the modern day apostate church. They're going to get spewed out of God's mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, they, but see, they think they're in need of nothing. That's the modern day church, pretty much. Hey, they're good. They can go to Smiley Joe Osteen's church and feel good and go out of there with a little sermonette snippet. Go out of there feeling good and, and feel like, yeah, I, I've got my, you know, I got my ego bolstered today. I feel good. I gave them a little bit of money. But they don't even know that they're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the essence of this whole teaching I'm doing today. This is a self-check for a Christian too. If you think that you're in need of nothing, take heed lest you fall. Pride goeth before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Pride, I'm telling you, is, this, is the one that you really... That's the sin that, that you do not want to have operating in your, in your body. It will blind you, like it did Satan. And Satan was the anointed cherub that covereth. Don't think if it didn't happen to him, it couldn't happen to you. And then, what is God's remedy? I counsel of thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. This is the trial of our faith, essentially. According to 1 Peter 1.7. That thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. It, that implies that the shame of our nakedness could appear to God if we're not clothed in white raiment. The white raiment being the righteousness of the saints, as that's defined. And anoint thine eyes with eyesight that thou mayest see. See, the church doesn't see, they're blind. I mean, as obvious as this teaching is today, they're blind to it. That's scary. Is it because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron? And they're speaking lies and hypocrisy? And they've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? Yeah, I think it is. I hope to God they haven't been totally turned over a reprobate mind. Because I don't think there's no, there's no going back once that happens. According to Romans 1, I don't know if there's a remedy to being turned over to a reprobate mind. It's hard to be dogmatic. Again, is it something you really want to push the envelope about? And then it says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Here we go again. 
If you're his kid, he's going to rebuke you, he's going to chasten you. It says, be zealous therefore and repent. Repentance. That's the first thing. Repentance. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sub with him and he with me. See, Jesus Christ doesn't kick the door down to your heart. You have to open the door. Verse 21. To him that overcometh, will I grant to him to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and I sat down with him, my father in the throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So if we go um, back to this Bible verse, or back to Isaiah, Isaiah 59. Let's just go to verse 12 now. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee. Isaiah 59, verse 12. Our transgressions are multiplied before And our sins testify against us. Well, the Bible talks about that the accuser of the brethren goeth before the throne of God day and night. If we give him ammunition, the accuser, to accuse us, and if, if the ammunition's valid, I mean, let's say we are living in abject, overt sin, that we haven't repented of, or have no urge or desire to repent of, or haven't confessed it, the accuser has a right to go before the throne of God. And these sins are going to testify against us. It says that right there. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgression and lying against the Lord, and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, or lies or deceit, which is what you typically get if you turn on the standard televangelist, or I can't even stand watching Christian television in any way. Should I, I, it gets me more righteous and indignant than anything else. I can't even stand turning it on most of the time. I just don't understand why they're not doing, why they're not crying out against this stuff. Doesn't mean I think I'm better. I'm just saying, I just don't understand it. And then it says, and judgment is turned away backward. There's no judgment. There's no right judgment. Judgment's warped and perverted. And justice standeth afar off. You wonder why the judicial system, the political system, and the church system is so corrupt? Well, they've abandoned the word of God. They've spoken lies and deceit. Therefore, judgment is turned away backward. Justice is far off. And truth has fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter. Equity cannot enter. And then verse 15. Yea, truth faileth. Thank you. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. That's where we're coming back to. Where? Well, when the truth fails... He that departeth from evil will make himself a prey. A prey? Well, that's like when an animal, like, like the tiger, he goes after his prey. 
If you're living your life in this type of environment, where justice is far off, judgment's not here, truth has been abandoned, if you're living in this type of environment, if you attempt or to live your life where you depart from evil, you're going to make yourself a prey. I'm just telling you right off. You're going to be the target. Now, can God protect you? Obviously, yes, He can. That's one of the reasons I pray Psalm 64. Hear my voice, O God, my prayer. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked. From the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. That's how Psalm 64 starts out. And then it says, And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Oh, but judge not, lest ye be judged. No, it displeases God when there's no righteous judgment. Not hypocritical, righteous judgment. Big difference. So, so much for never judging. <laughs> Verse 16. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Intercessor is like a prayer person that devotes their time to prayer. He wondered there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. Whose arm? God's arm. God's arm brought salvation back to himself. And his righteousness, it sustained him. What does this mean? What does this last verse mean? It means that in a society where God is rejected, where his truth is rejected, where truth is perished, where judgment is perished, God will then take away the opportunity to know him and to get saved. Which is the ultimate blessing you could give a nation, right? Well, if you operate and emanate in this thing, God's going to take away that. He takes away the opportunity to know Him and to get saved, and righteousness departs from such a nation. Well, I'd say the righteousness has departed from ours. So let me read that last, last part of that last verse. Therefore His arm brought salvation unto Him. You wonder why there's hardly any people getting saved in America? Really, truly getting converted and saved. Does it seem like if you're listening to this, you're just part of, you know, you're off by yourself on some little island as a remnant, nobody understands you? Behold, the harvest is past. There may be some gleanings in America, and I pray to God there is, and there's a lot of them, but the harvest is truly past in America, as far as salvation goes. I've resided myself that I'm a watchman and I'm a teacher. And I pray to God many people get saved. But if not one gets saved, I'm still going to carry out my commission. Because I understand that in this type of environment, God will bring salvation back to Himself. And people, there's going to be very few that get saved. Does it mean we give up? No. We still earnestly contend for the faith. We still are salt and light. We still reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. We still mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned. We still do all that. We don't give up. They that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Enduring to the end is evidence of salvation. It's not salvation by works. Verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. Huh. Sounds like the armor of God. Full armor of God in Ephesians 6. But this is God doing this. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. Ooh. 
Well, okay, so what is this telling us? This tells us when all this stuff that I just read is going down, that what is God going to end up doing? He's going to put on righteousness as a breastplate. He's going to put on the helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garment of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. You really don't want God putting on the garment of vengeance and the cloak of zeal together. You know, it means to be zealous. Like a lot of the Islamic people, they say, I'm so zealous for Allah. Well, this is God being zealous with the garments of vengeance on. I don't know, it's not, not waters I want to test. I mean, that's fear of God. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. This is what's going to happen. Fury to his adversaries. Recompense to his enemies. Well, that's most of the people in the pseudo-Christian church. They're his adversaries. They're his enemies. They're not working with God. They're working against Him. To the islands will He rec repay recompense. Verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west. What is the ultimate outcome of God putting on the garments of vengeance and the cloak of zeal? And the breastplate of righteousness. What is the, what is the, what is the fruit of that? So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west. I'm telling you, fear of the Lord is where it's at. If you don't have it, pray for it. I pray for the fear of God to be upon my enemies, and upon God's enemies too. Because that's the, their only hope. If they don't... What does fear normally produce in somebody? It produces humility. If you think... I mean, if you're in a really scared situation, you're, you're not going to be walking around all proud, are you? Well, fear of the Lord will produce humility before the Lord. And that's pleasing to God. That's the only way you're going to get saved is if you humble yourself before the Lord. You know, unless you humble yourself as a little child, you'll not see the kingdom of God. Well, we need to humble ourselves as little children. Meek, contrite before the Lord, trembling at His word. It's the only way you can please God. I mean, I'm not saying it's the only way. I'm saying it's the start. It is the foundation. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. Praise the Lord. I like that. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. Now this is a verse you can claim as a born again Christian. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. That's a verse you want to commit to memory. That's a faith verse. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to have God on your side, you've got to have faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you're reading a polluted Word of God, how are you going to build faith properly? Okay, so, if we go further here, for the most part, the church is blinded to this reality, and thus we continue to be content to stay in the comfort of our churches, sing songs to Jesus, while our nation is going to hell in a handbasket. The, then we go to Roman or Numbers 35, verse 33 and 34. Numbers 35, verse 33 and 34. And that says, So you shall not pollute the land where you are. For blood defiles the land, 
and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Now, I'm going to preface this. The person that wrote this article is probably not going to agree with me about the next part, and there may be some of you that don't agree with me about the next part I'm going to get into. I've never brought this up before, ever. Okay, but I'm going to try to prove it biblically. Now remember, Numbers 35, 33, and 34 is written in the Old Testament. Okay? Let's just read this again. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit. In other words, don't spill blood on it, because the only way you're going to atone for that blood is by the blood of him who shed it. So you've got to shed more blood to atone for that blood. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. God has said in His word that there is a certain heart that He looks for on earth. And I mentioned this earlier, Isaiah 66, verse, verse 2, uh, second part of verse 2, but on this one will I look, on him who is of a poor and of a contrite spirit. Poor doesn't mean financially poor. It essentially means humble. Okay, who, on him who is of a poor and a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. That's the man who's going to get his prayers answered. Now, if you're like that, and you've got a boatload of sin in your life, you're still going to hinder your prayers. But I'm telling you, this is the starting point. This is how you always want to be before God. The problem is, is people get into these ministries, and they start to think they're Mr. Smarty Pants. And, oh, bless God, I know everything, and I've got all my degrees, and my, hey, I'm a doctor. I went to school for a lot of years, okay? Granted, I don't have no degrees in theology or anything like that. Most of the time, what I see is people that are doctors, or particularly ones that have theological degrees, you can't tell them a thing. You can't. They know everything. They've been ruined. Pride has entered in, and you can't... It's like their conscience is already seared with a hot iron. You can't do anything. Now, maybe God's going to do something to get their attention. But I see it all the time, and it's scary stuff. This is why I believe the Bible talks about it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What happens when you get rich? Most of the time, you get proud. You get proud. Remember what it said in the Laodicean church? The whole thing about, you know... Because you think you're rich and you're in need of nothing. This is why so many times God doesn't let a born-again Bible believer become rich monetarily. Because he knows what will happen. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. Most of the time. So it says, To whomever reads this report, my fervent prayer is that you will be convicted of this doctrine of blood guiltiness. May God truly break our hearts and that we would once again tremble at his immutable, infallible, inerrant word. Even though this guy quotes New King James, and he quotes King James, and I don't understand quite that, but the New King James has been totally corrupted as well. It has the triquetra symbol on the label, on the cover of the New King James, which is the triple Wiccan goddess symbol of the witch, the crone, and the, the, crone, the maid, and the maiden, or something, I don't know. But it's the triple Wiccan goddess symbol. The triquetra, one of the highest symbols in all of witchcraft. And that's what's on the cover of the New King James Bible. It's also on the cover of many witchcraft manuals as well. 
Uh, and again, if you want further proof of that, I have uh, that attachment that I have on the King James. You can either email me. Um, and I know I have that attachment in some PDF forms, but I forget exactly what teachings I have it connected to. But um, I can email that to you, and you can actually see the, the pictures of these symbols. Anyway, going further... Um, our opening scripture from Numbers should be a wake-up call for every Christian, concerned citizen, patriot, or even those who hold to the hellish practice of abortion in America. Through this passage, there are undeniable truths that we must grasp before it's too late. Number one, when innocent blood is shed, it automatically defiles and pollutes the land. Okay. Secondly, God says, now this isn't man, preachers, or politicians, that the only way that this blood can be atoned for and healing to come to the land is that those who shed the blood, their blood must be shed. Now, again, I'm going to take a little bit of issue with this, because I think that, again, the blood of Christ, we're under a better covenant. And we have to appropriate the blood of Christ for our own salvation. And this is how we overcome the enemy, through the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covers all sin. And I do believe we have some New Testament scriptural precedent for looking at this in just not an Old Testament way. Okay, and I'm going to prove that here. If we go to John 20, 21 and 23, and I would almost guarantee you, you've probably never heard anything preached on these two verses. Or three verses. I, I have never heard anybody, other than one man ever, preach on these verses. Ever. And then it says in John 20, verse 21 through 23, it said, And then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. Now this is Jesus after he was he was resurrected. He appeared to the apostles. Okay, And Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So now Jesus is getting ready again to officially send them after the resurrection. And when he had said this, when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, when Jesus was here on earth, he had the Holy Ghost that says without measure. But when he came back after his resurrection, and he appeared to the apostles, he breathed on them, and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, he had never done that before. This is some, I mean, I think it's rather clear here. He was imparting to them the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. And then he says to them a curious statement. Now this is what he said to the apostles when he breathed on them right after they had received the Holy Ghost. What is the first thing he says? He says, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. What does remit mean? Remit means to like cancel. To take back. Remit. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. That's a very interesting statement. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them? Whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained? Have you ever heard of anybody ever preach on this? I never have, other than one person. Now, this is somewhat reminiscent of Matthew 18.18. 18. So let's go there next. 
Not not totally, but but it it does kind of relate to this. And again, I'm not going to sit here and be absolutely 100% dogmatic about this particular thing that we're looking at here. Okay, it's only mentioned in one of the gospels and but it is mentioned. Okay? Matthew 18, 18. Now this is mentioned more in one place. It says, Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus Christ, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now, we're not talking about something of an earthly nature. We're talking about something of a spiritual nature. Bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I believe this had to do with the authority that... We actually walk in as true born-again Bible-believing Christians. We're talking about spiritual things that are bound here. In this regard, we would be more likely in reference to something like a demonic entity. Remember, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness. Okay, so that's where our true battle is. So it's no marvel he'd say a statement like this. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Okay? For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I mean, that's all you have to have. Two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus Christ. So, um... I just believe that we as true Bible-believing born-again Christians actually have a lot more power than we realize. If we will come before the Lord clean, and meek, and contrite, with the fear of God, and trembling in His word, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And I think that the Charismatics have taken this and ran with it in a very, very unbiblical way. But there are, there is, these verses exist. There's, there's merit to these verses. Okay? So, when he says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Whosoever sins ye remit, says ye. says they're the ones that do the remitting. Now I know the only way that sins can be covered is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the price on the cross. His shed blood is what covers sins. Again, I cannot be 100% dogmatic here. But we are under a better covenant. Very clear. Is it possible for us to pray in such a way, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that I remit the sins that were committed over this land? The sins of shedding of innocent blood, sufferings, murders, whoredom, sorcery, witchcraft, etc., etc., and all abominations that were committed here? Jesus said, whoever sins, ye remit, they are remit. And that was only after they had received the Holy Ghost. I don't believe it's so much us that's remitting the sins as the power of the Holy Spirit that is actually remitting the sins through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing a Christian would be would be a willing vessel. In and of themselves, they do not have that power apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from His shed blood. They have no power to remit sins. And again, you've got to be real careful with this. 
Because you could go around and, and turn this into a total heresy. But the Bible does say this. And I don't know what other way to explain it other than the way I just explained it. The doctrine of blood guiltiness is absolutely frightening when we consider its unmistakable implications. Unfortunately, governments now protect the murderers of the innocent and actually punish pro-life Christians who would dare to protect the life of precious children made in the image of God through peaceful intervention. However, God will not be mocked. If the God-ordained authorities refuse to carry out their duty before the Holy God, then God must Himself act eventually. He will not and cannot deny Himself, nor alter the words that have come forth from His lips, according to Psalm 89, verse 34, nor will He overlook the shedding of innocent blood. So now let's do the math. There are upwards of 47 million children who have been slaughtered in death camps throughout America since January 22, 1973. Now again, and I'll preface that again, there's almost that many every year worldwide that are aborted. And since the 20s, worldwide there's been about a billion. Which would be, you know, over one-sixth of the world's population. I mean, the blood of Abel was crying out from the land. That was a big deal to God. Can you imagine the blood of one billion? It's incomprehensible. So, will it take God's judgment falling upon 47 million Americans whom we see to atone for the 47 million children we have refused to grant life to? This is a very real and present danger facing us as we continue to live in a state of denial concerning the American Holocaust. That's what the American Holocaust is. 47 million aborted babies since 1973. Now, could all of this freak weather that we're starting to see have anything to do with God's the starting of God's judgment? Remember wars and rumors of wars, there'll be earthquakes in diverse places, pestilences, these types of things. I'm not saying it's all. I know God's permitting it, though. I know we have the ability to control the weather. I've proven that. There's been Senate documents I've quoted. That we have absolutely the power since the 1970s to control the weather. Not my opinion. A friend of mine, this is this article, going back to the article, a friend of mine, John McTurin, a former federal agent, drives home with this startling truth and gives a vivid example of the reality in a booklet he wrote called God's Final Warning to America. At the time of the writing of this booklet, there were 37 million abortions. While documenting his findings concerning the correlation between the violence in the womb and the violence in America, he came across the profound article in USA Today, which read... Criminals have hurt 37 million people since 1973. That's weird too. 73, if you turn that around, it's 37. The criminals have hurt 37 million people since 1973. He goes on to say, Do you think it's just a coincidence that the reporter chose 1973 as the starting point for the explosion of violence that has inundated America? He paints a pretty strong... Uh, 
argument there. Do you think it's a coincidence that the same number of abortions in the exact same number of violent crimes that have afflicted 37 million people? Something to think about. God says in Hosea 4, 1 through 10, and let's read that. Now, a lot of times you'll hear me quote Hosea 4, 6. Well, let's read the whole, let, let's read that whole thing. Hosea 4, verse 1. Hosea 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath in controversy with the inhabitants. Now, this is to Israel, you know, his covenant people at the time. Ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. That's why God had a controversy with the land. Why? Because there was no truth, number one. No truth. See, truth is that important to God. Remember, God is going to be the one that sends the strong delusion in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That they will believe a lie. That they might all be damned who received not the love of what? The love of the truth. That's why they're going to be damned. Because they didn't receive the love of the truth. The truth shall make you free if you continue in His word. But this is the reason God had the controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Number one, because there was no truth. Number two, because there was no mercy. And if you don't show mercy, you will not obtain mercy. That's what Jesus said. Nor knowledge of God in the land. There's no true knowledge of God in the land. You can't get it by turning on TBN. You're going to get another Jesus and a false gospel. The feel-good gospel. That's, it's that important to God. These aren't superfluous matters to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. These are very important things. This is foundational. Then it says in verse 2, By swearing and lying, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery, they break out. What are all these just mentioned? Sins. And blood toucheth blood. Now we're talking about blood again. Blood toucheth blood. Therefore, when blood touches blood, what happens? Therefore, the land shall mourn. Why? Because the land's defiled. The blood of one righteous man, Abel, caused the land to cry out. Therefore, shall the land mourn. When we... Our land, worldwide, but in America, is mourning. The land shall mourn. And everyone that dwelleth therein, where? In that land, shall languish. You feel like if you live in America, you're just languishing? Like you can't believe what's going on? And you just feel like, oh, this is, God, get me out of here? Well, that's what says it's going to happen. With the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. That's one of the, the byproducts of this. Beasts of the field, the fowls of heaven, and the fishes of the sea shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another, for the people are as they that strive with the priest. If you're in this particular environment and you're part of the problem, you don't have any. You don't have any right to strive or or to prove anybody. You're part of the problem. 
Therefore shalt thou fall in the day. And the prophet shall also fall with thee. The prophet that's leading you is going to fall with you. You've chosen to, to follow a man. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and to make of flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 So it says, The judgment, thou shalt fall in the day, and the prophet shall also fall with thee, and in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. Sounds like pretty severe judgment from God to me. Now here's the, here's the verse we always quote. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Yeah, they are. It says, my people. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, now, yes, it says they are destroyed for lack of it, but it also implies they've rejected it. You've got to be real careful what knowledge you're rejecting. Because you can be destroyed for doing that. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. This is how important knowledge is to God. Well, the, remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, understanding, and, what else? Knowledge. Knowledge. If you have no fear of God, you're going to be deceived. You're going to walk in false knowledge. See, there's a lot of knowledge out there. But a lot of it's deceptive knowledge. Truth is the narrow path. And few there be that find it. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be a priest, shall be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Now we get to how does it affect our children when you reject knowledge? Well, it can absolutely affect them. In a very, very negative way. And then verse 7, As they were increased, so they sinned against me, Therefore will I change their glory into shame. And unfortunately, the, the modern day apostate pseudo-church is glorying in their shame. They're glorying in things they should be ashamed of. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's the exact same scenario. When, when, the, when the man had taken his father's wife, and, and, the, the, Bible, and the, the Bible says, Turn such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that their soul may be saved in the day of the Lord? Purge out the old leaven, that the whole lump be made new? They're telling them, purge out that man out of the congregation, turn him over to Satan, and I've got a whole teaching I've done on this, called Deliver Such an One Unto Satan. Again, that's hardly ever talked about. If the church were doing and practicing proper church discipline, these problems would have never gotten started in the first place. But the problem is, is the head, the pastors, are almost always corrupt. And therefore the body becomes corrupt. The, the church. The, the congregation's not going to rise above the pastor. There's that expression they, they use. So, God's going to change their glory into shame. There's going to come a time when, when Joel Osteen and all these other reprobates, Creflo, give me a dollar, TD Fakes, um, Jake, sorry, uh, Benny Hinn, all these guys, there's going to come a time when their glory will be turned to shame. Guaranteed. They eat up the sin of my people, they set their heart on their iniquity. They eat up the sin. Huh. I think this is the, in regard a lot to the priest that they mention here. 
they eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priest. Like people, like priest. Like, like the expression, like father, like son. Well, like the people of the congregation, same way is going to be the priest. Or in this case, the pastor, or the spiritual overseer, or the bishop, or the deacon. These types of people. Or the elder. And I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. For they shall eat and not have enough. And they shall commit whoredom and shall not increase. Because they have let off to take heed to the Lord. God says that in this passage we just read, it is the spiritual and moral law John McTrain seeks to convey in his booklet when he writes, on January 22, 1973, the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion. After 20 years, the total would be around 30 million people. There are many abortions that are also not reported, so that number is actually much greater than 1.5 million per year. It is very possible that since 1973 there's been 37 million or more abortions in America. Notice how the number of Americans injured by violence is 36.6 million, coincides with the violence that's happened in the womb. It seems that one American is being injured for each baby being killed. Yeah. God has sent judgment for the shedding of blood of innocent life in the womb. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. That's Leviticus 18.25. For the land is defiled through the shedding of innocent blood, and through also other things like sodomy, man lying with man, or woman with woman, or man with beast, or woman with beast. These things unequivocally defile the land. The Bible is very clear on that. Those are the two main things that defiles the land. Shedding of innocent blood and the whole sodomite lifestyle. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. It's logical, it's cause and effect. It's reaping what you sow. The violence in America is just the reward for the violence in the womb. How can Americans expect God to bless the nation with peace? When legally his children are slaughtered in the womb. An attitude of disrespect and violence against all life has now gripped America. This violence first started in the womb. I agree. Yet we have so many preachers and ministries and these types of things proclaiming, God bless America... Give me a break. God bless America? In light of all that we've just read? We've brought ourselves under the curse. We've seen nothing yet. So what is so significant about John McTrain's comment to me is that this wasn't written by a pro by a Christian pro-life activist. This wasn't written by a Christian but by a formal federal agent trained in the science of investigation. He was just a formal federal agent. Truly, his analysis coincides with the warning from Numbers 35, 33-34, which we've read previously, and that bloodshed is surely touching bloodshed, according to Hosea 4, 2. 
violence without a doubt is becoming a rod in America to punish the wicked, the wickedness of child killing. Let's go to Ezekiel 7, verse 8. Okay, so Ezekiel 7, verse 8. Ezekiel 7, verse 8. Now, this is God talking, the Lord Jesus Christ, Now will I shortly pour out my fury upon thee. This is what is in store for America and, you know, all these nations that practice this. And accomplish mine anger upon thee, I will judge thee according to thy ways. And I will recompense thee for thine abominations. And mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. I will recompense thee according to thy ways, and thine abominations that are in the midst of thee. And ye shall know that I am the Lord that smiteth. This is what God's just... Remember, He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Taylor, don't do that. Behold, the day, behold... Behold the day, behold, it is come, the morning is gone forth, and the rod hath blossomed. Pride hath budded. Remember, this is reaping what you sow. When you plant a seed in the ground, it always grows up into something much greater than the seed itself, right? That's what we're talking about. Violence is risen up into a rod of wickedness. A rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor of their multitude, nor of any of theirs, neither shall they be shall there be wailing for them. It's pretty much the future of America, the way I see it. If Unless, you know we have massive repentance. So, and because America does not hate bloodshed, but actually embraces it as a legitimate solution to our economic and moral woes through abortion, bloodshed now pursues us with a vengeance. Ezekiel 35, verse 5. This is the last verse we'll do for today. Ezekiel 35, verse 5. Because thou hast had a perpetual hatred, and hast shed the blood of the children of Israel, remember, these are the children, by the force of the sword, in the time of their calamity, in the time that their iniquity had an end, therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will prepare thee unto blood. When we shed the blood of children, God will prepare, if, will prepare that nation, or that movement, or that group of people, he will prepare them unto blood as well. And blood shall pursue thee. Sith thou hast not hated blood, even blood shall pursue thee. When, when you don't hate bloodshed, when you don't hate the killing of innocent children, and you've done nothing and, and, and just not prayed, no nothing, then even blood shall pursue thee. Unfortunately, it is our children that are the primary targets and the ones who are paying the price as death stalks the land. I'm going to go ahead and end there for today and we'll continue this uh, next week. I'll go ahead and end in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you have given us. I do pray, God, that we would commit these things, Lord God, into our, into our lives, Lord, into our hearts. That, Lord God, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive. That you would forgive us, Lord God, for sinning against thee. For possibly, Lord God, the sin of silence. The sin of complacency. That, Lord God, that whatever you would have us do, that you would firmly convict us by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, what we would need to do. That every devil or demon that would try to hinder this prayer would be bound and rebuked and cast into the abyss according to thy will in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do pray, God, that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. And Lord God, I know that many of the things that we talked about today could be considered presumptuous sins and secret faults that we're not even aware of. I pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes that we do see and that we would act upon these things. You would give us the courage and the strength to do your will, no matter what the cost, and to give us the faith and the boldness and the confidence, Lord God, that no matter what you call us to do, if we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, if we are born again, Bible-believing Christians, we have the strength to do whatever it is you've called us to do. If the whole world stand against us in the name of Jesus Christ, we still have the power through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood, your shed blood, through the word of our testimony, to do whatever you've called us to do. And I pray, God, that we do not love our lives under the death in the name of Jesus Christ. I also pray, Lord God, if it be your will, that you would protect your remnant in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would hide us from the secret counsel of the wicked, and that you would use the body of Christ and your remnant mightily in the days coming, that your name be glorified through us, and that through us, you would use us to lead many people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen.